Welcome back to the Presence Over Pain podcast. Today, Brady and I will dive into confession, such a needed discipline for the church in our day, and one that sadly is often either overlooked or misunderstood and therefore not practiced. So hang around and hear more about that. In the meantime, if you have a moment and you still haven't gotten your hands on the book, Presence Over Pain, I would love for you to search for it on Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, and pick up your copy there. Feel free to share, and if you've read it, I really encourage you, and it would be a blessing to me if you would leave a review on Amazon or wherever you purchase the book. Thank you. Welcome back to the Presence Over Pain podcast. This is episode four, and so far we have looked at, Doug, your journey. And that led you to write this book. We then discussed in episode two, Christ as the foundation and also our example. And then last time we just discussed community as our support. And today we're looking at confession. We're going to start off with this question. How does, how does confession relate to the other two? You even admit in your book that while driving on the bridge, the first two words, they made sense, right? Uh, Christ and community, but confession seemed a little bit different. So how so? How is it different? And how does it fit with the other two? Yeah, thanks. I, I do think that it's it was challenging to begin with. And, and I think probably challenging because I think I had always looked at um, confession primarily as an admission of sin, you know, like a which is good. It's a, it's an admission of sin to God and others, uh, which meant I was kind of limited in my experience of it. I think the the word itself is multifaceted in its meaning. For example, in, in Matthew eighteen nineteen, when Jesus says, "Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven." Um, that term "agree" is also in, in other places translated uh, into confess or confession. And I think what's helpful for me is that that Greek word is uh, symphoneo, and it's where we get our word symphony. And when I think of a symphony, I think of harmony. I think of um, coming together. I think of uh, being in one accord. And to me, that was just helpful because what it did was it, it sparked in me this understanding of, hey, wait a minute, Confession of sin is for me to say, yes, I agree that what I did was wrong and missed the mark and definitely needs your forgiveness and absolution. But uh, further, um, I, th- I think there's a good bit of Christian living that most people get stuck in that loop of just focusing on, yes, I agree what I did was wrong. I'm a total dirtbag and, and just kind of get stuck in that rut when really God means for us to move beyond that. It's, it's beyond the negative admission of sin and moving to the positive focus on Christ. So I agree, declare, speak in harmony with what his word says about me, about my situation, uh, about my suffering. And I think with Christ as our example, I'm, I'm confessing, I'm declaring his life, his death, his resurrection over my hardship. So for example, Paul talks about the idea of sharing in the suffering of Christ. Uh, could, could we ever experience a suffering as as deep and intricate as Christ? Well, the answer is no. But what Paul is saying is when we confess that sharing in his suffering shapes us and forms us, we're actually agreeing that that's the best thing for us. It's, it's the best thing for us to be formed through suffering, uh, not to be deformed and focus only on how we're wrong or missing the mark. Um, when I consider community, if we're, if we're talking about how it fits in with the other two, 
Um, and this is, this is probably a little harder because, uh, people with skin on right in front of me who've hurt me, um, make my life hard and I've made other people's lives hard. And so to confess and speak in agreement that yes, community is good and I need it is really hard for me sometimes. Um, particularly if, if I give somebody something in a confession, if I say, Hey, I'm weak right now, or I am fearful right now. And if I hand that to you and you fumble it, then what, um, does that mean I don't ever trust again? Uh, I, I think that's part of the hard work, but I agree that I should be confessing my sin to other people, asking for prayer so that healing occurs. James talks about that, but I think it's important to just acknowledge um, God did not design us to be islands who endure any form of suffering alone. Yeah, so real quick, uh, in the book, you talk about the two different types of confession. You just mentioned both of them, but will you just very clearly explain um, both kinds? And I think, as you said, the first one that you talked about is one that, as Christians, we often think about, but there's a second. So will you just kind of define both of those? Yeah, I think the first form of confession is just what we talked about, the idea of... uh, a courtroom scene, and I confess that the allegation against me is true. Um, Doug had lustful thoughts. Yes, I agree. I had that lustful thought. I dwelled there. um, I entertained it, whatever it might be. I confess that. So that's the first confession is to speak in agreement with about my sin. And primarily in order that I have an understanding that my, my sin meets its match in Christ and, and his absolution, his forgiveness and cleansing. So like first John one, I think eight through 10, and even all the way through two verse two, maybe looks a little bit at like the role of that sort of confession. Like if I say I don't have sin, I'm deceiving myself. That's a, that's the wrong confession. But if I acknowledge that I have sin within me, that's the purpose for which Christ came. So that's the first form of confession. The second one is, is what we talked about in terms of a declaration or speaking in agreement. And there's actually solid evidence, particularly from the Hebrew, that confession also means praise. Can you imagine that? Like, do, do you ever think of confession in that positive of a light? That um, my words, uh, maybe you've heard someone say this before, my, my words, your words have power, right? And um, yes, they have power because Christ tells us what, what we bind on earth um, will be, you know, binding and loosing that whole Mm -hmm. concept. And that is all about agreement and confession. And so I think there is a simple way to say that the the second form of confession is to declare out loud the promises of God. So it's things like this. Um, I I think tangibles always help. The tangible confession of sin, I think we've already hit on. But consider um, the words that you confess or speak over your children. Things like, oh, he's so distracted, or he's he's so annoying. In those moments of uh, frustration or exhaustion, you might say those things. And then they might become repeated things. And then those repeated things lead to a belief. And then that belief eventually leads to this emotional like reality that a kid has to walk through. My, my parents don't necessarily think I'm ever going to amount to much because all they ever told me was that I'm unorganized, I'm lazy. I'm, and so the, the confession then is to say, no, you're actually made in the image of God. And, and son, I want you to understand just if we're sticking with the example that when you act outside of the image that you're created in, 
you're actually agreeing with the enemy for his plans and purposes for you. And I want you to agree with your loving Heavenly Father, his plans and purposes for you. I want you to confess those things out loud. It's important to say, yes, I sinned, but that's not what I was made for. I was made for something different, something better, something that brings flourishing and partners with the Spirit uh, to bring heaven down. I think that's important. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, it does. Uh, thinking about the the first one, and I can even relate to your example with with your children um, and the confession that even needs to happen in my heart, right? As I almost thinking about that, speak into reality something that maybe isn't even there, right? If I continue to declare that mm-hmm. over a child, um, they're going to continue to behave like that, right? And so being being freed from that and speaking blessing, speaking a declaration and agreement and praise over over anyone is huge. And so I really appreciate that. But thinking about the first one, the confession of sin, why, and this is a pretty basic question, but but why do you think that's so difficult? What's what's so difficult about confessing our sin specifically to others? I think when we think of confessing sin, to be honest, it's pretty easy to do that alone in your mm-hmm. prayer closet. Yeah. Right? With you and with you and God. But I think that confession needs to go beyond that. And part of confessing your sins to God is confessing your sins to other people. So why is it so difficult and what can be gained from it? That's a really good question. Uh, I, I do want you to answer, but um, for those not in this uh, recording studio that we call a Sunday school classroom, Brady and I typically have notes that we, that we have here. So I'm going off script. So uh, apologies to Brady for what this might do to him. But, uh, I, I think I relate through story maybe a little bit better as to what can be gained or why is it hard? And I, I consider when my wife and I first began to, um, pursue one another as we were, you know, dating and then moving toward engagement and then marriage. And then I remember, um, particularly right after we began talking about marriage, like, okay, this is, this is serious. She's who I want to spend my life with. And there was something in me. And I think it's what David talked about where David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. You know, he talks about it because he harbored this sin that he committed with Bathsheba and then the murder of her husband and then the upheaval of an entire kingdom all hinged on a moment of selfishness for him. And he's like, I don't want other people to know that. And I resonate with that. I don't want other people to know that. And so as Jessica and I began to date, I remember having this burning in my bones of like, I don't want to enter in with some veil. And so I remember telling her like, hey, Jess, after we go to dinner tonight, we come back uh, to the house, um, back to my parents' place, whatever. Would it be Would it be okay if we had a conversation? It's going to be a little bit deep. And I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. And I remember it turned into me just saying, okay, I want you to know the full package you're getting. So here it is. Here are some of the struggles that I've had ongoing. And I I can remember like at that point confessing things like um, only a few years previous, um, my father in great act of mercy having caught me looking at pornography was like, uh, what's this? And had a hard conversation with me and having to walk through that journey. Um, and then just divulging that to my future wife. Um, there are few stories that I feel more vulnerable than that. 
And so when, when you say, why is it so hard? I think my first answer is because of that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to appear weak. I also don't want to appear like I, I have my stuff together. I mean, I had just finished Bible college. I was moving toward a career in ministry. And I'm like, by the way, you're getting a dirt bag for a husband. You know, like, at least that's the exterior mm-hmm. piece. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's hard. But I, I'm curious to hear from you when you think about just your own journey with confession. Um, how has it been hard for you? Yeah, I think what makes it difficult and not to oversimplify it, but could be summarized with one word and that is shame. Mm. I think one of our deepest desires as humans, not strongest desires in the sense of like the desire for food, right? The desire for sex, whatever that would be. Um, But one of our deepest desires as humans is to be known. Mm. And then after we are known by another human being is to be loved and accepted. And so the problem is, is when we think about confessing sin, confessing something that we've hidden uh, for a long time, there's fear that is rooted in the possibility of feeling ashamed, mm-hmm. right? If I, if I share this, if, if, we, if I confess, if I open up, um, then he or she um, will know this about me and how is this going to change our relationship? Yeah. How is this going to change the way that he or she thinks about me? Um, how will this, yeah, impact our future? And for me specifically, I am um, image conscious to a fault. And as you said, I, uh, for yourself, I love to appear to have it all together, right? At least externally. And I realize that that's not healthy. But what confession does, it just it just pushes on that. And it just continues to beat on the door um, until it knocks, it knocks it over. And so it's not easy for me to admit my flaws, to admit my imperfections, to admit my sins. Um, because then that gives you the opportunity to think something different about me than what I can control and portray. Yeah. If that makes sense. But I think this is where your, your previous word and previous podcast episode comes in. We need community. Yeah. We need to be around people. I need to be around people who, I can trust that I can go to those deep, dark places with. Um, and I strongly believe, and I've said this before, that freedom is on the other side of confession. Yeah, that's that, powerful. Yeah, that yeah. once you once you get past all those insecurities and those fears, doubts, the nervousness that comes along with having this deep conversation with mm-hmm. you know, your soon-to-be wife, hopefully, um, there is freedom and there's a weight lifted off your shoulders that... I think in my experience is, is more than just a metaphor. Like there's a literal light and easy air about you after you share. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what I would, would say to that. I think not to oversimplify it, but I think a lot of it is difficult because of shame and we see that in the garden. Yeah. I, I think, man, that's a powerful word. I, I think with confession comes that idea of like, I'm handing you a loaded gun. Yeah. Don't shoot. You know, um, it, you're, you're giving ammo to people that would, you know, in our case, depending on how and what we're confessing could lose us our jobs mm-hmm. in some ways. And so I think it's helpful for us to think about, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the podcast, but just logistics, like what, what does it mean yeah. to hold a confidence? What does it mean to, um, nurture someone through with truths of the gospel that go beyond just, you shouldn't have done that. And I think 
you make a strong point. The idea of shame is is probably critical and most important challenge for people to overcome. And you and I have said this before in a thousand conversations, but there is a difference between guilt and shame. And I think there is a good guilt that kind of points us toward this understanding of the need for absolution and forgiveness. And, um, and that happens with confession. Like, yes, I confess that what I, I know I need the forgiveness of God. The guilt that I have needs to be lifted. But shame actually then begins to look at a more personal component of like, I'm worried what you think of me because something's inherently wrong with me. And so confession begins to get at that lie and, um, and helps it to be remade in the image of God. So I, I think, uh, what can be gained from it was the other part of the question. I think we've pretty much already touched on the, why is it so hard? I, most basically, if you're looking for like a cliff note summary of why is it hard, it's hard because being known requires being vulnerable. And if you love anything or anyone, it requires that you be vulnerable to the extent that they have the opportunity to reject you. Um, I don't like that. I'm, to be honest, I, I think it's a struggle. It's a, there's reasons why we self-protect and that that's the cliff note version of why it's hard. But in terms of like what can be gained from it, um, and you've already touched on this, but I, I would just have a couple freedom, healing and community. Um, we were not meant to live in isolation. We were not meant to live in bondage. Uh, however, we willingly shackle ourselves and head right to the closet because we're concerned of what other people would think of us. And we stay in those places. Um, in your, in your own life, what would you say? I mean, I've already shared a little bit of a story of that one with Jessica, but like, what would you say, um, what good has come from confession in your own life? Yeah, I think, as you said, we'll get to it here in a little bit of, of there's wisdom to it. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be wise with, with what you share or, Maybe not so much what, but but who you share things with, um, and I think back to specifically in college when um, I really started to pursue God in a new way, in a deeper way. That I had a a group of three or four guys who were all um, going to school with, and we were just running after the Lord with almost everything that we we knew we could give. And we had a real sense of community. And a part of, of that community was literally a daily confession of sins. That's awesome. And that was extremely shaping and powerful and uh, a very unique time in my life, uh, just the nature of being surrounded by a bunch of people at college. And I think that has continued on where I can think of one specific guy still to this day um, who I've met more recently that we on a weekly basis connect mm -hmm. and uh, we just say, hey, how's, how's your life? How's your marriage? How are you treating your kids? How's your thought life? Um, pretty much nothing is, is out of bounds mm -hmm. between us two. And so that's, that's been um, extremely, extremely helpful. And, and even as I think about you know, me, me being on the other side of, of receiving someone's confession and I think about youth ministry specifically, I can think of countless number of times when I'm sitting in my office in a chair and a student's on the couch or sometimes multiple students, or I'm sitting at Eli's um, at a table with a student and you can tell when I, when you get the text, Hey Brady, I want to talk. Can I come after school? Um, you know, there's something fun about to happen, mm -hmm. but, uh, there, there was always a nervousness with, with them that they were just carrying this fear, this trepidation, this, uh, nervousness, but the moment that they shared 
And the moment that they saw me react in a way maybe that they thought I wouldn't react Mm -hmm. with just a sense of, of love and care and peace. And this isn't to elevate me, but, but just the sense of, Hey, I'm here with you, right? I'm not going to treat you differently. I'm not going to condone your sin, but I'm not going to treat you differently because of what you just shared. There was always a visible relief on their face and there was a weight lifted. Um, and they experienced that freedom. And so I think, I think that's huge for us in our position and and for anyone who's in any sort of leadership position, whether it's in a church, whether it's, um, you know, in your home with your children, whatever it is, I think we need to respond really, really well. And, you know, you shared your story with Jessica. I was just listening to a sermon a few days ago and this, this pastor was sharing about, he went to the very first counseling session with a friend Mm -hmm. And, uh, this, this wife, this friend's wife said, Hey, you need to go to counseling. Um, you're emotionally unavailable. You're angry, but you haven't cried in years. Mm -hmm. There's just something off. And so they go and they sit down in this counselor's office and in typical fashion, the counselor just starts to ask questions, poke around, try to get the heart of the issue. And finally, this guy recounts a story of when he was 11 years old and he came across pornography for the first time. Mm -hmm. And, um, he didn't necessarily in that moment do a deep dive, but he didn't look away and he kind of entertained it. And it just so happened that his dad walked in, in that very moment and his dad lost it and just said, what are you doing? And long story short, uh, there was a tremendous amount of shame in that moment and he suppressed it and didn't realize the amount of damage that it did even to today. Mm. And so this counselor is trying to help him unpack um, the shame once again that that went along with that and the unhealthy nature of of his dad's response then that led to his unhealthy nature of, of his own response. And so I say all of that to say we need to be people who don't condone sin, mm-hmm. right? don't accept it, but people who lovingly accept the person and walk through uh, their confession with them. Yeah, I think... I would add to that just a little bit. The The idea of a lack of confession actually leads to this hardness. And even your, your story that you share, uh, so common in my ministry practice and life on a regular basis is to see someone who has either lacked confession or community to the depth that it's needed. And what I find is I'll be talking with them and they'll relay a situation or an occurrence in their life and they can do it with like... Uh, stoic clinicism, you know, like, like it's, uh, I I can be clinical in my assessment of what happened and I'm looking at, like, I want to cry. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to what they're recounting and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's a deeply sad thing. So I typically find that people who lack confession and this is self-included. So pointing the finger right back at me, um, I, I find that not only do I become cynical, but I become angry. I, and, and usually in relation to being called on that sin, um, I, because I've harbored it, I've not actually learned how to release it to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness and, and cleansing. Um, but I think it points to that idea of, uh, the value in receiving confession. Whenever someone comes to me and, and begins to confess a sin, um, one of the first things that I, that I do is explain, um, I want you to understand something very clearly. And there's times where I'll even tell the person, I, and I've done this with my own children. I want you to look up here. I want you to make eye contact. Okay. Don't look away. And I want you to lock eyes with me. And I want you to understand something, what you're about to share with me 
or what you just did share with me does not change my opinion of you. I love you to the same depth regardless. Okay. Now there are consequences that come along with what you've done and I'm willing to walk through that with you, but you won't get the full benefit of confession if we sidestep consequence or if we hide. And so, um, I want to let you know that I'm here for you. I love you just as much 20 minutes ago as I do now. And so let's, let's dive in. And I think that's a privilege to receive a confession from a friend and then to pray for their healing is, is a, a total privilege. Yeah. So as, as you're speaking, I am just getting the sense that, um, confession needs to become more of a regular practice, Mm. both for the individual, um, but also maybe just for the church at large. As I think about the way that we quote unquote do church, uh, how we operate on a Sunday morning, how we operate small groups or even youth ministry, I'm kind of challenged by this thought of, do we make room and make space for people to confess. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that that presses on, you know, we don't want to emotionally manipulate and how do you do that yeah. best with wisdom, but what would it look like in your opinion for the church to make confession a more regular and healthy practice? Um, I guess first is there value in that? Do you agree with what yeah. I'm saying? And if so, mm-hmm. what would that look like? Um, I mean, for sure, I would agree that there's value in it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have written about it in my book, uh, nor experienced the benefits of it. But I think uh, there, there's a line in a song uh, that I love. Um, and the line is, I raise my weakness high, in it you're glorified. Lord, refresh me. And it always carries me to this place of understanding the more I make of my strengths and my accomplishments, the smaller I feel and the, and the more shallow I become. But the more I make of the grace of God over and above and even through my weaknesses, um, the more full I am, the more um, human I am. Like I, I become more fully aware of who I'm made to be. And so I think for confession to be a regular practice, it means we have to agree with scripture, but particularly I, I think of like King David, the apostle Paul, James, Christ himself. But, um, you know, in, in Psalm 32, uh, David talks about this idea that silence is eating him alive. So a, a lack of confession eats at you. Um, and for it to become a regular practice, we have to agree that silence is not the answer when it comes to confession. Um, and then in, in, Second Corinthians 1 and 12, Paul talks about this idea that we have a need to know Christ who raises the dead. You know, he says in Second Corinthians 1, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we feared of life itself. Um, but that put us in a position to depend on God who raises the dead. Um, do, is there any better position to be in when it comes to faith? Like, I've got nothing but you, Jesus, is what Paul's saying. So Paul's admitting weakness. Um, so we need to agree with that. And... Um, And then in James 5, James talks about this idea of we confess our sins one to another and we pray for one another that there might be healing. And you talked about it, the regular confession of sin through college. And then even now there's, there's an individual that you're with on a, on a regular basis doing that. And I think the reason healing happens with confession is because it's an exposure uh, of a wound. Usually that's self-inflicted that we are allowing someone else to get at the heart of what brought that wound 
right? If I skate past it and I don't confess deeply, what I do is just say, put another little bandaid on it and, and it might work for a little bit. But when I confess, I'm actually saying, can you tell me the source of this infection? Can you help me understand what's actually bringing this wound to the surface? Uh, what's my motive? That's why confession, I think, um, for it to be a regular practice has to be something that is specific. So if I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm really sorry, uh, for yelling at you. Okay. Why help me understand the why behind your yelling and, and your la- lack of self-control. That's, that's what I want to understand. And that is what I think becomes powerful in confession. But I think in order for it to become uh, a, a regular practice after we agree with what scripture says about it, um, then I think there's, there's the matter of logistics. And so I just, I'll, I'll give you maybe three logistics and we can poke around if you want. Um, number one, I, I think you have to offer to others what you would like to see in community, which basically just means, um, stop complaining and start doing <laughs> most of us are in a position, um, where we have at least one other relationship with another human being who's a believer. And if that's the case, and I'm tired that confession and vulnerability and emotional availability are not things that are happening in my church, but I am stoic, disengaged, and not confessing sin, um, then I would just kindly say that the problem is with you. Um, and a little self-introspection is not a bad thing. And so when I start to think of offering to others, I'm saying, be the first to do that. Be the first to say, hey, Brady, I want to let you know. And you know, Brady's been on the receiving end of texts from me. So this is uh, real life stuff where it's like, hey, I'm home alone tonight. You know, feel free to check in on me tomorrow to ask how my purity was and my productivity. Um, by even doing that, I'm confessing I'm weak. I'm not confessing failure yet, but I am confessing the potential for failure. And that is a vulnerability that gets at the real need for confession. So that's uh, logistic number one. Logistic number two is, um, I would say, hold confidence, right? We have at Northfield um, what we call life groups. And in our life groups, kind of within that structure, we have what we call DNA, which is, you know, discover, nurture, act. Um, We're going to discover Jesus together in the scripture. We're going to nurture each other with gospel truth. And we're going to act or be or hold one another accountable. And the ways that we do this are we put men with other men and women with other women and um, we're opening the scripture together and we're finding where's Jesus here. And then we're pulling those truths into our lives where they reveal weakness and sin that needs confession and repentance. And so um, we share something in confidence. Um, I have a DNA group that I meet with uh, every other week. Those guys know things about me and I'm glad they do. I'm also terrified that they do, <laughs> if I'm honest. And and the reality is there are caveats to holding a confidence, right? If someone comes to me as a counselor and they confess suicidal ideation or illegal activity or things of this nature, I'm, I'm bound by law to report some of those things. I can't just hold those. But when I say holding a confidence, I mean, if someone comes to me and they're working through a sin issue and it's clear that they... They feel stuck, but they have a desire to change. My goal is not to exploit that for gossip's gain, um, but to cultivate that confession for grace's gain, if that makes sense. And I think too often, uh, most people who would say, yes, I have church hurt is because they experienced a sour confession or their confession was handled poorly. Um, And then the third uh, logistic I would say is follow up. There is uh, 
few things that I can think of, or rather there are few things that I can think of worse than someone unloading something deep and somebody else being like, man, that's, that's rough. Have a, have a good day. Here's a sandwich. That's helpful. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think follow-up is key. It's like, uh, I, I frame it when I text you and I say, Hey, I'm home alone. Please check in with me tomorrow. I'm framing the follow-up. I'm saying, please do this for me because mm-hmm. I, I want it and I need it. I, I think that's critical. Uh, follow-up is huge when it comes to disciple-making. If, if I say, oh, awesome, you receive Christ as your Lord and you, you turn from him in a moment, good luck with that, right? See how you turn out in 20 years. Or, hey, uh, you know, I have this Bible study happening or I'm in DNA, would you like to come join me? That's what I'm talking about when I mean follow-up. So, yeah, and then in terms of value, um, <clears throat> I think the real value in a church and in the Christian life. So, you know, if you're a part of a house church, if you're a part of a church like Northfield, whatever it might be, um, I I want you to think in these terms, the real value is depth. It's, it's rich context. It's sturdy Christianity. And I mean that because the world is longing for these things. Look around. Um, are we not the most fickle we've ever been? You know, just all sorts of like me first mentality. And, and a shallowness to, I can't process the depths of despair or the hardship that I'm facing. And it's because we've never trained ourselves to. We've never actually entered into that space um, in the way that we should. So yeah, I would, yeah. And then a couple of quotes in recent memory that kind of stick out that I think are really powerful. Um, Tyler Staten in his book, um, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, uh, has this, this statement where he says a maturing community is a confessing community, not a church without sin, but a church without secrets. And then the one that really has captured me in recent months is uh, by Paul Tripp uh, in his book Lead. He says, hiding in fear, silence, denial, defensiveness, and a vacuum of humble candor is more the culture of broken Eden than a victorious Calvary. So think about this the way that God has designed things. Um, Eden means garden of delight or perfection. And so um, the idea that we would be a people who are confessing our need for him looks a lot more like God intended it. And and he went to the cross to prove it and to earn it and to deliver it. And so when I don't confess, I actually miss out on something that he designed. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks, Doug. Um, as we as we wrap up with this last question, um, I love in conversations like these, or even when I teach, I love to get practical. I don't love people just to walk away and say, "All right, what do we do now?" There's time for that, but usually I like to give them something practical to to go and do. And so, what would that be for you? What, what's your advice for anyone uh, who's listening who may be experiencing? Um, you know, some troubles with, because of their sin, mm-hmm. um, that they just continue to repeat and live in without confessing. Uh, how do they, how do they take that first step? Um, what does it look like to confess a sin that you've never, um, never done that before with? And, and what's the wisdom behind that? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think I would <clears throat> maybe if someone's coming to me saying that, the first thing that I would do is thank them. Thank you so much for even allowing me into this space that is hard for you uh, because it means um, I'm, I'm privileged 
And so I want to tell you that I'm going to try my best with the help of the spirit, um, to hold the challenges that you face well and to walk with you. Uh, but for the person who's like, Oh man, I don't know. I, I, uh, all I can think of are the times in, in my own relationships or in, uh, the, the counseling that I've done where people have intended to keep things hidden and instead they confessed. And then it's the statement that you had earlier. I believe that freedom is on the other side of confession. That's it. It's like the dam that breaks. There's, there's all sorts of pent up fear and anxiety. So the, the first thing that I would suggest in terms of just like, Hey, practical, um, who is your most trusted friend in Christ? Not just trusted friend. I want somebody who's going to point me back to Jesus. So asking that question, who is your most trusted friend in Christ? And can you get alone with them either on the phone or face to face to express a sin that has, has you tripped up and struggling and then ask, will you help me? Um, that's a real simple piece. And you're like, well, I don't know if that person will still receive me or love me. And I would just gently push back and just say, well, I'm not sure that that's your best friend then. Because I, I think a best friend should be able to hold that. Um, but I, I think start, starting with a question usually for me is almost how I always operate. But like, I, I would look at someone who's coming to me and saying, well, I can't confess that. And I would just say, okay, well, um, what are you hoping to gain by keeping it silent? And then further, how's that working for you? I mean, not snarky, not like, you know, cutting, but more like, how, how is it working for you? Are you finding that your sleep is great, that you're keeping weight on or that you're losing weight or, you know what I'm saying? Like all sorts of physical manifestations happen when we choose to keep sin hidden. Um, just because God believes we're holistic beings. And so I think it's, it's, it's important for them to understand the why behind their holding. Like, why am I holding it back? Um, and then from there, some of the practical steps that I said, but I think the, the wisdom is, um, for all of us, not just the person who's holding sin, but the wisdom in confession is just this, uh, the, the phrase that we've probably heard before is the baby with the bathwater. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, essentially what that means in this case is, have you ever had a bad experience with someone where you shared something in confidence, whether it was a deep confession or even just like something that you wanted to be kept private and they blew it out of the water or they failed and you're like, okay, I'm never doing that again. And I would just say, mm, I'm not so sure that that's the best answer. Uh, I understand self-protection. I understand, um, coping mechanisms, all these things, but I don't think that's the best answer for the community that we need. I think what is the best answer is to look at Jesus, right? And, and Jesus, he confesses great need. He had no sin to ever confess, but was he ever weak and in need of the strength from his father? And the answer is yes, absolutely. So like in the garden, when he comes to his disciples who are exhausted with grief at what's about to happen, and he says, look, I am troubled, like to the point of death, I'm troubled. Would you please pray with me? And they fail. I'm like, what would have happened if Jesus would have said, yeah, right. I'm never letting anybody else back in. Those three Hanyaks, they failed me. They didn't get it done. Um, nobody's ever going to be good enough for me. Like, oh, well, the rest of humanity kind of would have been screwed then. <laughs> and so I think it's important for us to say, no baby with the bathwater thinking, right? Just to try again. And a, and a um, prayerful sort of way. And then... Um, 
a little bit as well is just to, to realize how holding harms us. That's, that's probably the, um, the wisdom in not confessing, or I should say the, the wisdom for the non-confessor is to consider this reality. Holding harms you in a thousand different ways. You don't even realize it, but holding on to your sin harms you because think of the logic. I saw something I wanted. I went after it. Now it's ruining my life or my marriage or my relationships or my job, whatever it is. Now I realize that and I'm going to get myself out. So essentially I got myself into this mess and I'm my best option to get myself out. It's almost laughable. You know, it's almost laughable. And I think part of it is just the human condition. We think we're stronger than we really are. So we, we like to portray that. And confession is no different. If I have to confess to you that I'm weak in a particular area or that I failed, there's two differences there. If, if I like, if I need to confess that, um, but I'm more concerned about your image, like your perception of me, then I'm always going to be wrecked. I'm always going to be someone who's behind the eight ball in confession instead of saying, um, Hey Brady, will you take me warts and all? And, and the reason I say that is because to be known and to be loved is a lot like being loved by God. And, and I think he intends for us to be known and loved by others in the same way that he loves us. Um, so when I, when I think that I can honestly confess my sin to somebody else and they will still love me, I actually think it's great that God doesn't forget our sin. Um, people are like, well, yes, God, God forgets my sin. No. Scripture says he, he puts it as far as the east is from the west. So picture a continuum ad infinitum, going forever in opposite directions. Um, that's what God's doing with our sin and our redemption. And he's essentially saying this, I see your sin. I remember it well. I felt it on the cross, but I still want you. To me, that's a lot more rich and contextual and deep and sturdy than the fickleness of, oh, I've got some sort of a holy amnesia about that lustful thought you had last night. You know, instead he's saying, yeah, I saw that. And I'm so sorry you chose that over deep, abiding, wonderful love. Does it bother you that you did that? I just thinking of how Jesus would approach us is different. So, um, hopefully that helps. I think logistics are about the same as above. You know, you, you, you offer to others what you want to see in community. You hold a confidence well, and then you follow up would be some of my suggestions for people stepping into that for the first time. Yeah, that's once again, that's really good, Doug. Um, Thank you for this. Thank you for doing a deep dive uh, for confession. Um, I think back to your definitions of, you know, confession of sin, but also the confession to be a declaration, speak in agreement with praise. Um, I think back to our conversations just of uh, confession is difficult because of the fear, because of the shame behind of it, behind it, but it's worth it because there's freedom on the other side. Um, I appreciate your your honesty and vulnerability um, just with, with where you're at and where you have been. And like you said, I think narrative is helpful. Mm-hmm. And so people being able to hear stories of how this is happening in real time for us. Um, so yeah, once again, Doug, just thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure and I'm looking forward to the next one. Me too. Mm-hmm.